Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Romans chapter 8, let's open up our Bibles. Uh, If you don't have your Bible or your phone or your iPad or whatnot, there's a Bible uh, in the rack there near you. I think it's about page 11, something, 1132. We're in a, starting today, a four-week series uh, as we kind of work our way through Romans 8. So I'm going to, I want to read the first um, uh, 11 verses with us here. And as I read, I'll just add a little commentary as we go along. But follow along in your Bible. Have your Bible open. Have your pencil out. Be marking up in your Bible as we go uh, through this passage. Romans chapter 8 beginning at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he, God the Father, condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life, and it is peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God's law, nor can it submit itself to God's law. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Amen? Everybody get it? Uh, I didn't. This is some pretty dense stuff, isn't it? This is, this is lawyer talk, right? You, you know, whenever you buy, get new software, download a new app, and you got to click, I agree with these things, I accept all those conditions. Does anyone actually read all that stuff? Well, this is that same kind of language because Paul, the writer of, to this church in Romans, is so concerned that the Roman people understand the gospel clearly that he puts on his attorney hat, his lawyer hat, And he writes this incredibly theologically loaded grammatical phrase upon grammatical phrase, right verb tenses, 
all of this language so that we can understand the gospel completely and fully. And so what I want to do this morning, because this, this, is, this is some dense stuff, is I want to invite you in to where I'm sitting in my house in a, the, the chair I like to sit at with my cup of tea when I have a quiet time. Um, and, and I hope you know what a quiet time is. It's not where you fall asleep, but it's where TV's off and music's off and kids are off. And you just have a little time to be alone with God, with His Scriptures, with His Holy Spirit. And, and so I'm going to just kind of invite you to that place. And I'm just going to walk through this passage as I would in my quiet time, pencil in hand, trying to think, what does this passage mean? So what I'm going to try to do for us this morning is I'm going to try to unpack it and uh, so we understand what Paul is really saying. And I'm hoping as we do this too, to just to teach you some skills again of how you can unpack God's Word. So I think the whole passage, verses 1 through 11, hinge on two words or two phrases. And, you, and so I've got them circled. I actually have them highlighted in my Bible. And I think those two phrases uh, is the first word in verse 1, therefore. And then I think the second phrase, um, a conjunction, is found in verse 4. In the English Bible, it's three words. Uh, in, in, the, in the original language, it's just one word. In order that... And so as we go through the message this morning, as we go through this time in the Word, I have those two marked and circled because I think they're the hinges that the rest of the passage, verses 1 to 11, all play off of. And unless we understand what the therefore is, what did we say? Therefore. And we understand what the in order that is all about, I think we can skip right by what the teaching of this passage really is. And so we're going to use those as our two hangers, as the two hinges, because I think that's what Paul meant to do. And I think it'll help us to understand and unpack some of the density of the passage that is there uh, before us. So Paul says, therefore. So whenever someone says, therefore, this is what we teach our pastors in Rwanda, is to ask questions of the text. So the question we ask of the text is, why is the therefore, therefore? What, what is the purpose of the therefore? And so if you have a therefore, what that's telling us is that something has gone on before it, leading up, that now I make this great conclusion. And if we don't understand what has gone, led up to this, we're going to miss the whole boat. And so um, what's gone on before chapter 8, verse 1? Chapters 1 through 7 of the book of Romans. So we're going to kind of change our whole modus operandi here this morning. We're going to study now for the next several years Romans chapter 1 through chapter 7 so we can understand the therefore. So you're having your quiet time. You've only got 20 or 30 minutes to have your quiet time. And so what do you do? Well, you think back to what has gone before. And so that's exactly what I did as I read this passage. I thought, well, what is the therefore, therefore? And I, I thought back to Romans chapter 1 through chapter 7, and I said, well, if I had to boil Romans 1 through chapter 7 down to just a couple of verses, what verses would I choose that then inform us why the therefore is therefore? And so I flipped back, and actually I read Romans 1, Romans 2, and 3, and 4, and 5, and 6, and 7. And then I came back to chapter 5, and I think chapter 5 is probably a, one of the best summaries, if we needed to summarize, Romans 1 through 7, and helps us then to understand the therefore. 
So look at Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at three or four verses there. You see, at just the right time, Romans 5, 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still weak or powerless or miserable. So it's talking about people that don't have a lot to offer. Um, He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still weak, miserable, powerless, Christ died for the who? Ungodly, for the anti-God people, right? And and so Paul is, he's, he's not being very complimentary to us, is he? He says, number one, we're weak and we're miserable. Number two, we're ungodly. But it was for these ungodly people, me and you, that Christ died in their place. And that's amazing. Why would, why would Christ die for people that are anti-God, that are a mess, that are, that are ungodly? And so Paul asked that very question, in a sense, in verse 7. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly um, uh, dare to die. Um, And what Paul's saying there is, it's not often that someone would take a bullet for someone else, right? Um, But it does happen. But it's really rare, really rare. Um, There's there's some people in this world that I take a bullet for. I take a bullet for my wife or take a bullet for my kids most of the time. Or I take a a bullet for my dad. Or I take a bullet for... I take a bullet for some people and (laughs) some of you. You know, but, but, but... even people that I love, there's some people that I love that I wouldn't take a bullet for, right? Now, that happens, but it's rare that someone takes a bullet for someone that they really love. But it does happen, right? But imagine taking a bullet from someone who's your, taking a bullet for someone who's your enemy. That never happens, right? You know, somebody that's harmed you or harmed your family or abused you, and, and the guy comes with a gun, and you jump in the way, and you say, take my life instead of that person's life. That, that just doesn't happen, right? But God, right, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is the one and the only one who takes the bullet for people that are three things we've discovered about these people, us, powerless, weak, miserable, ungodly, sinners, and if you look down in verse 10, God's enemies. And so God, motivated by his love for people that are miserable, people that are ungodly, people that are sinners, people that are are his arch enemies, He demonstrates his love by condemning, instead of those ungodly, powerless, miserable, sinning people, enemies, instead of condemning them, he condemns his son. And his son on the cross bears all of the condemnation that should have come to us, his enemies. Man, that is an amazing kind of love, isn't it? We don't, know, we don't know that love from anyone else but Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, okay, because I'm saying five, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, are the summary of chapters 1 through 7. They don't say everything, but they give us a pretty good picture. 
Because this is true, that Christ bore the condemnation that was due you and due me, therefore there is now, chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who in faith have believed that Jesus bore the condemnation for them. There's no more condemnation. It's like, it's like, it's like you have committed um, a series of capital crimes. You've, you've kidnapped someone. You've harmed that person. You've extorted that person. You've, you've, uh, 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 you know, you, you've, you've created a whole bunch of crimes against a person. And you're arrested, and you're, you come before the judge, and lo and behold, you look up in the dais, dais up there, and you see the judge, and the judge is the very person that your crimes were against. Imagine that, right? And so you're tried, and all the evidence is laid out there, and it's not a good case. You, have, you don't have a leg to stand on, right? All kinds of witnesses. And so the judge then takes all of the evidence and he judges justly, and he condemns you to death. And, and, and you, you don't have an argument in the world. And then the judge said, but I will take your place, and I will bear your penalty. I will be condemned in your place. And you shout out this joyful celebration that someone motivated by their love for you, Romans 5, 8, that someone motivated for their love for you would love you so much, you rascal you. There's nothing admirable in you or in me. There, there, there's not an inkling of good that's in us. We're, we're, we're broken and messed up through and through. What were the four words he used? They were, he, we were powerless, we were ungodly, we were sinners, and we were God's enemies. And yet, Christ bore all of the condemnation that, was, that we deserve because of that, that life that we live in the flesh. Therefore, now this amazing thing has happened. There is therefore now no condemnation. We need not fear. You, you, you see, before, before Christ came, we, we live in this fear that if we don't behave in a certain way, God's going to come down and just whap us. He's going to send us to a red-hot hell. And so a lot of times our behavior is because of the stick and not the carrot, because of a fear of a God, of God. But as we discover that all of our, that there has been condemnation, and it's all been borne by God's Son, Jesus Christ. And there's therefore now no condemnation for us. And so now the, the lives we live are not lives of, of fear of God, but lives of joyful gratitude to Him for all that He's done for us. Imagine if that judge who he puts his life, his life is spent for your life. Imagine the gratitude you'd have for that judge's family for the rest of your life. Not begrudgingly, not because you had to, but because you wanted to, because you're so thankful for the gift that he gave you. And so Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, verse, chapter 8, verse 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus, for, or because, I think for is probably better, verse 2, for through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So I'm having my quiet time, and I'm thinking, the law of the Spirit and the law of sin and death. And I'm thinking as I read that, is he talking about the Old Testament law? The Ten Commandments and the other 631 commandments and prohibitions in the Old Testament. Is that what he's talking about? I'm thinking, 
I don't, I've never heard it phrased that way, that those Ten Commandments are the law of the Spirit or they're, 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 they're the law of sin and death. And then I start thinking, I remember from something I read that the wor- words sometimes mean different things in different contexts. Same word, but it can mean something different in different contexts. And I remember reading that the word law can be used different ways, and it's the way it's used, the meaning it's given, is determined by grammar and by context. And so I'm thinking, you know, in the context of verse 2, it doesn't sound like he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And I remember that the word law can also mean, and does mean, and I think it means here, power. So for, take, for instance, the law of gravity. There's really not a law. Gravity doesn't obey some law. Gravity is a power, right? So when we say the law of gravity, that if I jump off the two-story building, that gravity is going to, it's going to, what's it really going to do? It's going to overpower me, right, and draw me down to the ground. It's not saying, well, I need to obey this law, this rule, but it's a, it's a power or a domination or a control, And I think that's the way, and and many commentators think it's the way as well. I'm not the only person. But I think that's the way the word law is in verse 2. Now, we're going to see it differently in in, in the very next verse. So I might be wrong on this. All sermons are reviewable in heaven. But this is what I think. Um, Because, or for, through Jesus Christ, let me substitute this word, the power of the Spirit, the domination of the Spirit in your life and in my life, the, the Spirit who gives life, the, the power of the Spirit has set you free from the power of law and death, of having to obey the law or you'll be condemned. You see, it's the Holy Spirit. So as we go out of the courtroom, not only do we go out of the courtroom with a verdict not guilty, not condemned, someone else was condemned in our place, but we go out of the courtroom with the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, unleashed in us to give us new power to do battle with what? With sin and with death. So it's not just a legal fiction. It's just not a legal, or excuse me, a legal nonfiction here that's occurred that we've, we've been, uh, we are no longer under condemnation. Not just that, but it's experiential that the Holy Spirit of God who gives, who gives all life his power is now at work in my life. That I have a new power when I, le- le- when I leave that courtroom. The great therefore not only takes away my condemnation, but it fills me now with God, God's very presence, his Holy Spirit, who gives me power over the sin that I've wrestled and I've lost to, and the power over, over sin and death. For what the law... Now, you're going to go, Gary, you're crazy, but I don't think I am. I think this is talking now about the Ten Commandments in verse 3. For what the law, see, it's not a power here. I think he's talking about the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments from Scripture. And Paul does this sometimes, uses the same word in a different meaning. Context and grammar help us to understand what, what we're, how to understand a word. For what the Ten, let me just use that as a phrase, okay? For what the Ten Commandments were power, powerless to do because they were weakened by the flesh. Now, what's that saying? Well, it's God who gave the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments. I'm just using Ten Commandments as as code for all the rest of them. When God gave the Ten Commandments, they are good. 
He wants us to obey the Ten Commandments. It's not like he changed his mind and said, oh, it's okay to commit adultery. It's okay to murder people. No, he, he still says, these are what I want for my people. But he says, when I get, what Paul's saying, when I gave you those ten, when God gave us those ten, ten commandments in verse three, the law was powerless because it was weakened by the flesh. It was weakened by me living in the flesh, and I was, I was not able to keep the ten commandments. And not only was I not, not able to, I didn't want to, right? And you and I prove that every single day, right? And, and that's what Paul says down in verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's Ten Commandments, nor can it do so. So there's not, even, there's not a will to obey the Ten Commandments when we're in the flesh, and there's not an ability. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons God gave us the Ten Commandments and all the others is to drive us to a rescuer, right? To drive us to a power that's bigger than us. Because when we try to keep the commandments, our flesh is weak, and we're not able to keep them. And so what he wants us to do is to run to the Savior, Jesus. He's able to do them in us. And so the commandments, one of the reasons they're given is to drive us to the Savior. So Paul says in 3, for what the law, the Ten Commandments, were powerless to do because they were weakened by my flesh, God did. Well, isn't it awesome that God does it? Start to finish. God did. How did he do it? By sending his own son. This is a very Trinitarian chapter of the Bible, isn't it? Just in two, three verses. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Already here. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the, my flesh, God, speaking is the Father here, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was fully human, but he had no sin. He lived a perfect life. That's why Paul wants us to know he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was fully in the flesh, but he wasn't in himself sinful. He himself wasn't sinful, but instead he took all of our sin upon himself. So let me read it again, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he bore the condemnation for us. And so, Paul says, he, the Father, condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. Right? Isn't isn't that an awesome transaction? That for us, it's awesome. My, the condemnation that was due to me was placed on Jesus Christ, and now I live full of the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. I have available, unleashed inside of me, is this power of the Holy Spirit to battle against the power, verse 2, of the law, of the power or the authority or the rule of sin and death in my life. And so at the end of verse 3, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. See, someone had to be condemned, and it wasn't you or me. Instead, all motivated by what? By the love of God, 
Jesus takes on all of our condemnation. And the wonderful thing this does to my life, and the wonderful thing I hope it does to your life, is no longer do I live in fear that if I don't keep his commandments, he's going to whack me upside the head. He's not going to. There's no condemnation for you or me. And what that does, it just fills me with gratitude. And so now I have this new desire and I have a new power of the Holy Spirit that now I want to keep his commandments, not because he's going to whack me upside the head if I don't, but because he's died in my place. And it just changes our whole approach to life from a life of fear and insecurity that every time we mess up and every time we sin and every time we fail, every time we're greedy and every time we gossip, that God's going to whack us to, oh God, when I sin now, Oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> what an idiot I am. You are so good to me. You've, you've died for this, and I want to live for you. Give me your new power. And just a whole different way to live. And Paul says this, this condemnation, this therefore, the therefore, this the, the therefore is for a reason, for a purpose, and that brings us to verse 4, in order that. That this therefore, that Christ did this, and, and, and there's no more condemnation, he did this in order that. He didn't do it just so we could sit back and just live our lives the way we want to do and never have to fear condemnation again. That's not why he did it. He did it in order that. So here's our second phrase. And so he condemns sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the power of of the unleashed spirit, I'm adding on here, commentating, the unleashed spirit who is living inside of us. So all of this, therefore, had a purpose. And the purpose was that in you, as a child of God, living in now in the power of the spirit, not the power of the flesh, that in you, what does he say? Look in your Bible with me. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in you. Now, as I'm having my quiet time and I'm reading that, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm not able to keep the law. I don't want to, and I'm not able to. So how is it going to be that the righteous requirement of the law, and by the way, what is the righteous requirement of the law? What, what is that about? I'm thinking, do I need to go and read every, all 631 uh, Old Testament commandments and, and all, the, all the commandments in the New Testament and start making sure they're all fulfilled in me? That, that takes me back under the condemnation, doesn't it, really? So what, what is that, and how is this going to happen in my life? He says in the Christian life, that's the us, right? People that have the Holy Spirit, go down a little further in this passage and a little earlier, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, I think he's talking about the Ten Commandments and all the rest of the commandments, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be not partially met, not kind of met, but fully met in us, those of us who are no longer living, minding after the flesh, but who are now minding, living under the unleashed power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm thinking, so what, what is this righteous requirement of the law? And it kind of stumped me for a little bit. What is this? And so I started thinking, you know, I think I read something about the, 
the fulfillment of the law, the summary of the law, somewhere else in this letter. So I went back and I started reading chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. I didn't see anything 5, 6, 7. So I said, well, maybe it's further. I can't remember. This Bible doesn't have a concordance. Concordances are handy sometimes. But they're also, they get in the way sometimes. So I read chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11 and chapter 12. And then I found it, chapter 13. And I found the answer to the question that I had of the Bible text. This is one of the wonderful things about the Bible is it helps us understand itself. It, 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 in, in looking at the context, it helps us to understand what the rest of Scripture says. So I come to chapter 13, and I, I read it, I just, I just, I can't believe this. Here's the righteous requirement of the law. Verse, chapter 13, verse 8. Don't have any debts except, here's the debt you can have, and you'll never pay it off, the continuing, the ongoing debt to love one another. And, 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 and here's just a, a, a biblical summary of what I think it means to love one another, to think more highly of others than you do of yourself. That just really helps me when I think about, well, well what's it mean to love someone? You know I mean like when your wife is tired and the dishes are stacked up there? What it means to love her is to think more highly of her than yourself, and you go and help do the dishes, right? That's what it means. Sorry, guys. That's what it means, right? To honor others above yourself. That's what Jesus did, right? So Paul says, here's the debt that you will always have to love one another. For whoever loves others, whoever considers others more highly than themselves, has what? fulfilled the law. You hear that? It's the same exact same words that are used back in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit guided Paul as he wrote this letter to the church at Rome to, to, that they, they would read and study the whole letter and then think back from chapter 13. Oh, this is what Paul meant in what we call chapter 8. They didn't call it chapter 8. When he said that the righteous requirement of the law will be fully met in us. The righteous requirement of the law is for you to love like Christ loves. So let's go on there in verse, in verse 9. He says, Paul says, the commandments, here's how I know that this is the law, the context tells us. The commandments, and he lists some of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And Paul said, whatever other commandments there may be, I like that, just whatever other 600 commandments there might be, are all summed up, get this, underlined in your Bible, are all summed up in this one command. The, you can take all the other commands, all, of the, all the commands, and if you want to just sum them up into one short sentence, here it is, he says, they are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Think more highly of your neighbor than you do of yourself. Love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So go back to Romans chapter 8. So what's going to happen inside of us? The therefore that we no longer live under condemnation whatsoever now frees us up to joyfully, inspired by the unleashed spirit living inside of us, to obey the law of love in our lives so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who no longer living according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. 
Now, I want to give you a I want to give you a really simple, really practical, I want to land the airplane here and talk about a practical application of the therefore and the in order that is how do we love people? How do we love people? Because I think sometimes thinking about loving people gets kind of mushy and sentimental and kind of weird. And I know how to love my wife most of the time, and I know how to love my kids and my family, and I know how to love some of you most of the time. But you know, I don't know if, I know this is true about you too. There are some people that I don't like very much. Is that true for you? You don't have to nod, but you can if you want to. You know, and I think we mix up loving and having affection for someone. I think we mix up love and being drawn to someone. And I've got people in my life that they're just different than I am, right? They're different than you are. They like different music. They like different food. They like different political thoughts. They, they're, they're irrit- you know, their personality is irritating to me. Uh, they're obnoxious. They're too loud. They're too quiet. Wh- whatever it is, right? And I don't know that that's a sin necessarily, right? I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's a sin that you like fish and someone else doesn't like fish. It's just kind of the way it is, right? And I don't think that that's necessarily a sin. Um, and, but they're just people, they're just, I'll just be honest, and, and, and I know you're honest too, that I just soon not spend the evening with, right? And so here's the difficulty then. Because if love is going to be fulfilled, the righteous requirement of the law, if love is going to be fulfilled in me, how do I love people that I don't particularly like or have affection for or I'm drawn to? And that creates a tension in me because I don't feel very loving toward them. Now, there's other people that I'm just automatically drawn to. My wife, I'm really drawn to her. And uh, my kids, I'm really drawn to her. And some of you, I'm really drawn to. And it's because we've got things in common. Uh, we like the same things. We like the same food, like the same music. Um, you like me. Um, um, we... we, we we're interested in some of the, you know, the same things. And so I'm, I'm naturally drawn to you. And you know what? I seldom have to be commanded to love people that I like, that I have affection for, right? But Jesus takes this standard of loving your neighbor. And remember, he talks about who is your neighbor. And he says, it's everybody. So that includes the people that we don't naturally like. And, and, and so, that's, so this is the rub is how do we love those people that we don't like very much? Because that's the righteous requirement of the law that the therefore and the in order that is all about. That in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you and me. I think it's as we listen for the Holy Spirit to remind us. I was just reading something recently. It said that Christians don't need so much to be taught as they do to be reminded. And I think we need to be taught too. But as we listen to the Holy Spirit, remind us that that person that we are not naturally drawn to are one of the people that we are to love so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And and I think here's how it happens. is we listen, and this is my charge and challenge to you and application to you is as you listen to the Holy Spirit, I think today or tomorrow or the next day, 
the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you about someone that you're not naturally drawn to, that he wants you to think more highly of than yourself. And here's what I think you do about that, is you act lovingly toward them. And that's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And you don't worry about whether you like them or you're drawn to them or you're affectionate to them. And then here's a really cool thing that starts to happen. You've discovered this in your life. When you start acting in loving ways, considering other people more highly than yourselves, with people that you don't naturally, you're not naturally drawn to, here's this is really cool, is God starts giving you empathy for them. And God starts giving you <laughs> feelings for them and compassion for them. And before you know it, you begin, you don't like everything about them, but you begin to really like them. And that then is when this righteous requirement of the law is really being fulfilled inside of you. So, so th this is my challenge. This is my application for you today. Is you who, you who have been, your condemnation has been taken away from you, is to act lovingly. Now, I'm going to say something really interesting here. I don't know if this is absolutely true or not. I hope it is is act like Jesus. Because how did God act toward us? Romans 5, 8. While we were yet his enemies. See, I think this, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to say this. I think when God loved me, he didn't like me very much. I don't think God was real interested in having a cup of coffee with me. Because why? Because I was powerless, I was ungodly, I was a sinner, and I was his enemy. And yet his love went beyond liking, right? And yet he loved me by considering me more highly than he considered the other. So my challenge is to be Christ-like and to love your enemies and people that you just don't like, that you don't label your enemies, like Christ loves you. Amen? Why don't you stand with us and let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you have taken all of our condemnation away. <laughs> And that just changes the way we look at our relationship with you. We no longer live in fear, but instead we live in joyful response and gratitude toward you. And you want to change us. You did this not so that we'd sit back and relax and life would be easy for us, but in order that the righteous requirement of the law, that we would love one another, we would um, uh, think more highly of the other would be fulfilled in us by the Spirit's work in our life. And change that. Change that in me, Lord Jesus, that I would love people like you have loved me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.